Last Wednesday on She Walks, we heard Reverend Sharon Bowers and Carly Blaylock begin a discussion about disruptive leadership and change models. And we are about to rejoin them for the second part of the conversation. If you missed the first part or you would like to hear the conversation in its entirety, you can find it under the show information at wehcfm.com. Trails of troubles, rows of battles, fans of victory, we shall walk. Well, and I guess that's like that question I was asking about the plan for change. So the plan for change really is about vision, right? Right, absolutely. And if you don't have a vision, if you don't understand why you're doing what you're doing, what your goals are, you know, why should I be doing this? Why, you know, what are they thinking when they're asking us to do this? If you don't have that vision, then you're going to be extremely confused and you're not even going to know how to start, right? You have to have the vision first. Well, how, I guess I'm thinking about a diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging kind of a process. And I'm looking at this and, you know, to get people to see the why, it's kind of like when I was talking to you earlier and you were saying, well, you know, you hope it would be so that you won't do harm, but we know that that's too easy a reason. So, you know, trying to get the why for some people, like, you know, just to answer that question, why diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging? Mm-hmm. Why? I mean, getting the vision, getting people to see that and just saying this is our number one priority is not enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's not. I mean, it's it's great that that's a stated priority. That's fantastic. But what does that mean in action? Right. What mm-hmm. does that look like in action? I think it's great that we are seeing, you know, more inclusive media, more inclusive books, companies, Fortune 500 companies are having these discussions about inclusivity and equity and belonging and all of that's great. The motivation for that may be profit, right? That Mm -hmm. is, that is true because we know that inclusive shows and films and books do better. We know that they make more money. So you could be, I guess, kind of callous and be like, well, they're doing that because they know it's going to turn a profit. Sure. Mm -hmm. The representation is still important. The work is still important. And I think finding that vision or like that, why, why are we doing this? The incentive piece as well. It's going to be different for different people. And like, you know, like I said before, you always hope that it's the altruistic. We want a more equitable, inclusive world whether that's in media or in higher ed or in, you know, my restaurant or whatever, we hope that that's the case. It may not always be the case, but how are, what are other ways that we can get people to kind of buy in, I guess, is is the question. Well, and I think that, and I know this sounds a little hokey, but I think, you know, the, the, this change doesn't happen as easily without the vision, you know, Mm -hmm. because you've got to see where you're going. You said, you asked the question, like, you got to know the why. I think you've got to know the why, but I think I'm, I'm an old school planner. And so I think you have to do the whole Rudyard Kipling thing. You have to do the who, what, where, when, how, why, Mm -hmm. you know, to get there as part of the vision, because if, if you don't make that vision clear and distinct, and if you don't say the change that you want, and speak that, and then how will you know when you get there? What will your assessment be that that you made it? And so when you say that in this particular model, they look at vision versus confusion, I think sometimes even our actions don't line up with what we say, which causes some people confusion. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that would be, you know, the way to kind of use this model would be to like, okay, we've done our vision, our consensus, trust, skills, incentives, resources, action plan, right? We've done the whole thing. But for some reason, our actions are not lining up 
with what we said our vision was. Well, that means we got to go back to our vision because it's no longer accurate. And that could be because we've changed our mind on some things, or maybe the issue ended up being something else than what we originally thought, whatever. But yeah, you're exactly right. You have to go back to that vision piece because unless that is extremely clear, then nothing else is going to really happen for us. Yeah. And and I don't think you get any buy-in because I think buy-in is still really critical. Mm-hmm. And and I think when people are experiencing confusion, they, they may be saying one of two things. They may be saying, I want to buy into your vision, but I just don't see, I don't have the tools, some of the other things that you said earlier, or I'm just not, it's not really clear enough for me to say, yes, I'm going to buy in or I, I'm not going to, because you, it's incongruent. What you're saying and what you're doing are not the same. So I think in that, in that first portion about vision versus confusion, there's a lot that we could talk about from that perspective, because I think that happens more often than not. And whose vision is it anyway? Is it a shared vision or is it, is it a hierarchical vision of one person? Right. And that's why that second step is trust and consensus. It's one thing, like you said, to have the vision, I'm the leader and I have this vision and this is what I want to do. But unless other people are buying into that vision and unless you have a consensus among your group, it's going to be really hard to get things done. And that's where that sabotage piece comes in. You're feeling Mm -hmm. that level of like, I don't think we're all on the same page and I want this to work, but it feels like there are some people that maybe don't want this to work or don't understand why we're doing this, right? And that that can be very toxic. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what what strategies do they suggest that you to build the trust and to stop the the other stuff? So with the um the sabotage piece, they want the buy-in, and that means that you have to have a strong vision. So you have to have a strong why. And then you also have to have that strong incentive piece. So not only is your why strong of this is why we're doing this. But also, this is what we're going to get out of this. This is what our organization is going to get out of this. And I think sometimes we can have the vision or the why, but not as much the, this. these are the actionable, like tangible things we're going to get out of this and making sure that there's not only buy-in to the vision, because we may all want the vision, but that there's also buy-in to the incentive of, yes, we all want these outcomes as well. And, and if there's not, then you have to be able to like problem solve that and get everyone on the same page and make sure that everybody is sort of working together. And that's going to require being very open, very honest, and having some difficult conversations as well. So I guess that age-old question, you know, what's in it for me really is valuable. You know, we used to say, well, what do you mean what's in it for you? But I guess that's a real valuable question when you're trying to cast a vision, trying well, to get people to buy into the change model. Yeah. And I don't know if it's not always what's in it for me, although that's part of it. It's also like what is in it for us, right? So like the actual outcomes that we want, I guess, is is a better way of thinking about it. So Yes, this may mean more money for our company, or it may mean more money for me personally, but also it could be, you know, depending on what the the thing that you're trying to implement is, it could be, you know, well, this company is now going to be a more equitable place to work. That is important to me. So I'm going to buy into that vision. So it is definitely looking at it through your own lens and your own experience, but it's also looking at it as the whole group as well. So what what are we getting out of this that is tangible? And it helps you to, like you were saying earlier, you have to be able to measure your outcomes, right? You have mm-hmm. to be able to say, did we do the thing or did we not? And the incentive piece helps to do that because it gives you that whole, well, these are the outcomes we're looking for. This is why we're doing the thing. So if we don't have those outcomes, then we didn't do the thing. <laughs> 
So just telling us what, what life is going to be like after the change. I mean, yes. and painting that picture. And I think, you know, you said this earlier about the soft part of it, you know, like the kumbaya or the do no harm or, you know, any of those kinds of words that we might use to describe it. But I think in vision setting and, and uh, casting, it's real important to paint that part of the picture. And I think that's the part that we leave out sometimes. I completely agree. You know, you have to be able to not only understand why, but this is what life is going to be like or look mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. for us once we have accomplished this thing. And that's incredibly powerful. Yeah. And that that helps to to justify the why. Right. When we can get that clear picture of what life is going to be like after the change, when it's complete. I, I say this to some people sometimes, what will you be when you grow up? <laughs> you know, in the visioning process, and they, they kind of laugh, but I think it is important for us to look at the future from the perspective of, you know, when the change is complete, what will it look like? Yeah, absolutely. Because if not, we'll always be in process. And although change is part of a process, we don't always want to be in process. We don't always want to be working at that change. We want to be continuously improving that change. But but there comes a time where this change is complete. Now, there may be a new change with a new goal, but there has to be a place of completion or why bother to do it? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, change is hard. And if you're going to ask people to change, it needs to be very clear what we're getting on the other side of that change. So what about that resistance to that, Carly? Um, What are some strategies to, you know, you talked about incentive versus resistance. What are some strategies to deal with that resistance? I mean, we're talking about some of them now, but are there more? Um, This article in particular does not like get into different strategies. It's just sort of Mm -hmm. explaining the model itself. And I think it's going to depend very much on what your goal is, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to kind of depend on what you're using the model to do in order to know how you're going to be able to dissolve some of that resistance. It's going to also depend on the kind of resistance that you're getting, right? So, you know, we on this show talk a lot about DEIB work. If somebody is resistant to that work, that's going to lead to more, those difficult conversations I was talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're going to need to figure out why that is, because that's very concerning. And so figuring out, well, what is it about our inclusive goals that you do not align with? Mm-hmm. Um, and figuring out how to navigate that is going to depend very much on the situation that you're in. So it, it's a very difficult question to answer. And it very much depends on what the overall goal that you're trying to achieve is. Yeah, I was just thinking along the lines again, I'm old enough to have had varied careers. And so I won't name any names in in this example, but I can think about when resistance has been from the top, you know, when we look at bottom up change or, you know, any of those kinds of things, when when resistance has been with the powerful, sometimes, you know, getting the powerful to see the incentive for them is more difficult than when it's top down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's very true. And that's why a lot of these change models, you know, are really good to a certain extent, but also this is very much a a top down, right? Mm. A leader has the vision and here's how we're going to make it happen, which is good. That's fine. And this model is super helpful for that. That's mm-hmm. not always how change happens, though. And so, you know, sometimes the cl- the player that you need to buy into the vision is not the the people who are supporting the leader, but rather the leader themselves. Right, right. So I guess overall, and, and I know we, we there's other stages, but excuse me, I know we're using this and you 
you seem to do it quite well. But one of the things that that I think that that article was suggesting that if you don't have really good incentives, if you don't answer the why, if you really don't get to the the crux of why we're making this change, other than just because I said so or because we have to, is that there there seems to be more resistance around when the incentives are not aligned with the change. Mm. So if you can't, if there's incongruencies, if you can't make these actions that you're suggesting, if you can't make them appear to be value added, then I'm going to resist it. Yes, absolutely. That is very, very true. And so I guess um, that whole, uh, and, and I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting stuck on resistance because my dissertation is about resistance. It's about uh, expanding intersectionality to include spirituality as a Black woman's resistance. So I'm getting stuck on resistance here, Carly. So just work with me for a few minutes because I think that part of what I say resistance involves, it, it involves agitation, it mm. involves advocacy, and it it involves you know finally trying to to get all the way up to activism. It's it's real critical uh, that we we do that. And so this resistance, I'm trying to figure out what are the things that would would yield it. And and so the article said sure. that poor incentives would do that. And so I guess that would be any kind of incentive, wouldn't it? So you'd have to get past the the because I said so. You have there has to be some carrots. Right. Yeah. And resistance, again, is one of those words that can mean many different things. Right. So mm-hmm. in this context, we're talking about resistance to the change. Mm-hmm. And it could not be a bad thing, depending on the change that's trying to be implemented. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, if your leader is trying to implement change that the overwhelming you know, group does not agree with, that resistance would be something to really look at, right? Why is there so much resistance to this? So it's not to say that that's necessarily a bad thing or a good thing, but if you want to get people on board, then you're going to need to understand why they are resisting and you're going to have to look at your outcomes and your incentives, right? You're going to have to look at, well, they clearly don't agree or don't think that, like you said, don't think that what we're asking them to do is value added. And so they are resistant to that. And we we didn't really talk fully about this, Carly, but that whole lack of consensus resulting in sabotage. But I, I, I think that, you know, if I don't have the skills, you know, that whole limited skills brings about anxiety. And I think about it from a diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging perspective. I think sometimes people resist it because they are afraid. They don't have the knowledge, skill, and ability. And I think I know we're doing a change model like this at Emory and Henry. And and one of the things that I was going to suggest and talk about is that unless we have increased people's knowledge, skill, and ability regarding diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, the change is not going to occur. Right. I mean, and that skill piece is so important. And it's something that a lot of people, a lot of people spend a lot of time on the vision, which is important. (laughs) but Mm -hmm. then they don't know, they don't go back and go, well, what skills do we need to accomplish this vision? Right. And that often includes professional development, training, Mm -hmm. maybe even switching people around to be in different positions because, Mm -hmm. you know, you actually have skills that would be so good over here. And this person, other person has good skills that would be over here. You know, where are my areas of weakness that I need to develop so that I can do this work and do it right. And when we're talking about DEI work, DEIB work, that often includes very difficult conversations and people can be resistant to that, or they can think of themselves as a very inclusive person, but they're not really. And that can also lead to that resistance piece, right? 
and not having those skills leads to anxiety of like, I don't know that I can do this work because I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. And so earlier, what you were saying, that whole why thing and, and the vision and putting this all together is so critical because I am going to be, I'm going to have a lot of anxiety and my anxiety is going to lead to resistance if I do not get what I need. So if you're telling me that I've got to become verse, if you're telling me that throughout my whole school in every area, there's going to be an infusion of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. I might just feel overwhelmed, right? especially if I don't even know what it is. And I haven't even gotten to the why. I don't know the what, you know, what's the big deal about this diversity, equity, inclusion? Why can't we all just get along, you know, in the words of Rodney King, my resistance is greater if you tell me from the beginning that you're doing this, but you don't have the answer to the why. Right. Yeah. No, I completely agree. And, and I think that can even maybe go into that resource piece of like what you're asking. Cause one of the questions under resources is you're asking me to do too much with too little. Right. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. again, kind of going back to like, maybe I have the skills to do this work, but you're asking me to do a lot. Yeah. And we're, we're talking about implementing this over this grand scale. I mean, that's going to take some resources, right? Oh, yeah. And organizational change. I mean, just in and of itself, you know, if you're in an environment that's constantly being changed, I mean, uh, you know, in higher academic, in academia, I've heard this and I'm not an expert and I'm not skilled, but I heard that change always happens with staff and faculty and all of that in, in academia, that that's a, that's a center for change. I think that's very true. And if that's the case, then, uh, you know, creating, I guess, a positive affirming organizational culture is critical to all of these models that we're trying to, to talk about and to, to move forward. I I think that we got to figure that out. You know, what, what are the values? What matters the most? What are the expectations? What are the practices? What do we do? And, and, and this is where the soft skills come in, Carly. And I think people really play down soft skills. You yeah. know, I mean, just the fact that they call them that. <laughs> no, you're exactly right. And the soft skills are also much harder to teach. You know, yes. I can teach you how to use a software program or, you know, how to be a public speaker. You know, it's going to be a lot harder for me to teach you how to be compassionate, <laughs> how to have empathy, right. how to work with others, how to be inclusive, how to create comfortable environments for all people. Yeah. Those are not hard. You know, th- those are hard things because they're, they're not defined easy and trying to figure out how to establish things like alignment and appreciation and trust. These words that we use that we've relegated to soft skills, they're just hard to come by. You yeah. know, how do we, how do we get our businesses, our schools, how do we get all of those in alignment so that we can do one of these change models? How, how do we go about doing that? And I think sometimes if we if we agree that it's okay to call these soft skills, and if we're talking about alignment, appreciation, trust, you know, uh, performance, resilience, teamwork, integrity, innovation, all character, you know, all of those kinds of things. If we're talking about some of those, and this is a question I'm asking you in your expert on this particular model, do we need to do some of that either before or at the same time? We start a change model that involves vision and, you know, the incentives and uh, skill and all these things that you're talking about. Is there a place for the soft skills? I think that would definitely follow fall under the skills piece, because I think that skills piece is not just teaching people the skills, right? Because those would be more of those quote unquote hard skills, right? Mm-hmm. But also recognizing who has 
the skills, right? Mm -hmm. Who has those quote unquote soft skills to be able to do the thing that you're asking them to do. And if you're seeing maybe some lack in certain hard or soft skills, what do we need to do to figure that out? Does there need mm-hmm. to be trainings? Do there need to be workshops? Do we need to move some people around? Do we need to hire some additional people, right? That have those skills. Um, and so that soft skill piece would be under that as well. And, and we understand that not everyone's going to have the same soft skills, but we all can contribute to the team. Some of us are going to be more analytical and less touchy feely, and that's fine. But that just means that you're going to need to function in a certain role and that other person's going to need to function in another role. And and it may mean that we have to stretch because if we say that our culture, our company, one of our culture values is integrity, then, you know, we're talking about honesty and transparency and that that this is critical. And so if you don't know how to be honest or if you don't know how to be transparent, and I think that sometimes is where larger organizations falls short is because we don't spend enough time introducing what we say matters. Like the new issue is empathy. Well, if there's not a course and courses and ways to practice empathy going on in your organization, that culture is never going to change. And you can talk about empathy till the cows come home, but unless you have opportunities to be empathetic, it's not going to matter. Right. No, you're exactly right. Not only do you need opportunities, but, you know, those quote unquote soft skills are things you can learn. (laughs) You know, just because you may not be the most touchy feely, emotionally intelligent person in the room does not mean that is not something you can learn to do. Mm -hmm. And so I think also sometimes the excuse is made of like, well, that person's, that's just who they are, which is fine to a certain extent. But if this is who we are and say we are, then we need to develop those skills. Yeah. And, and I know sometimes we work in vacuums or silos and, you know, so we don't, we don't have that team that lets us be a part of anything. And, and so I think, you know, we say we value these things, but if we're not exhibiting them, if we're not doing them, then it's incongruent. So I guess, Carly, what I'd say to this model, I love this model. And I I, I just wonder if there's something before we start to look at how we change. And I wonder if you say it might be in those skills, but I'm wondering if it's even before that skill set, if this is a um, a baseline before we get to the skills needed for change, because I think the skills needed for change would have to do with the organizational culture somehow. I don't know. Maybe I'm just brainstorming, but I'm I'm just thinking about creating an atmosphere for this change to occur so that you have less resistance and not, not just because of your incentives, but because you've done this pre-work, this prep work, this soft skill work, this introduction to the, to the why. Uh, it just seems that that's kind of important. And maybe when I look at this model a little closer, maybe I can find those places and spaces where y- you could get inroads, but establishing the organizational culture is critical before we start to to do the change. And, and in disruptive leadership, you don't always have the the luxury of that. It sometimes it just comes at you or in you. Yeah, no, I think that's an excellent question and, and definitely something to spend some time on. Yeah. Okay. Well, that sounds like a winner because, because change is good, but even, and, and maybe just even establishing a, a culture of change. I mean, that would be good if you had an organizational culture of change, that would be good. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We're out of time. <laughs> We are. (laughs) We're out of time. Carly, close us out. (laughs) Well, we appreciate you all exploring these models with us. Um, We're going to definitely spend some more time on this and explore additional models in the future, come back to these same models and 
really see if we can't kind of flesh out what we've been talking about and really put some practical, tangible pieces into place of like how you might actually use these models. So we appreciate you all spending some time with us and we will see you all again next week. And just throwing in, we might end up with a Blaylock Bowers model. <laughs> Maybe we will. <laughs> all right. Bye everybody. Bye everyone.